Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. We're getting to, uh, we're actually at the very end of the book of Acts. This is, uh, we've spent over a year, I think, over a year preaching through the book of Acts, obviously with a few breaks in between, but we've, we've taken it slowly, we've taken our time, and we have finally made it to the very end of the book of Acts, Acts 28. So we're going to focus, I'm going to read verses 11 through 31. But we're going to focus on verses 17 through 31. Um, So I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. uh, Chapter 28, verse 11. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Putoli. There, we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Apius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing amongst themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, through Isaiah the prophet. Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. 
and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So I know that we are all uh, sick and tired of this pandemic, of this virus. We probably don't want to hear anything. We don't want to hear anymore about this virus. And so at the risk of, uh, at the risk of turning you off, I'm going to make an analogy based on a virus. Um, imagine that there is this really, really contagious virus. And it doesn't matter what the authorities, what the, the governments, what anyone does to prevent it, this virus just continues to spread. It doesn't matter if you try to isolate from others. It doesn't matter if you, if you uh, wear a double or a triple or a quadruple face mask. This virus continues to spread. Now imagine that we are here, we are in the beginning stages of this virus. Imagine that it, it started, um, you know, in a, different, in a different place, perhaps a, a more remote, not so significant place. But then imagine, it, it, think of it as a movie. Imagine that in this movie, like the virus is just developing. And so at the very end of the movie, we see how the virus is, is picked up by someone, say, say a little child or, you know, someone that travels to New York. And then they, may, they make it to, to New York's international airport. And, and, you know, if this is a movie, we, that's, that's where the movie ends. You know, the kid makes it to New York. Boom. Roll the credits. So you know that. You know, what is coming is this virus is going to be massively spread now that it's made it to, to one, of the, one of the biggest cities in the world. So the reason why I am uh, making this analogy is because throughout the book of Acts, the gospel is like a virus. Not in that it is bad, not that not in that it hurts people, but it is like a virus in that it is easily spreading. It is quickly spreading. It is viral. The gospel is viral. Really, what, think about this. In the book of Acts, we have many characters, right? We have Jesus at the very beginning with the disciples. Jesus ascends. He sends the Holy Spirit. And then we have the acts of several of the disciples. We see how Stephen preaches the gospel. We see how Philip, the evangelist, preaches the gospel. We see how Peter preaches the gospel. Uh, um, getting Peter's friend's name, but uh, Barnabas preaches the gospel, and James preaches the gospel, and then Luke focuses in Paul, 
and he also is preaching the gospel. But notice that none of these people, even though Paul is, is heavily featured in this book, none of these people are the main character or the main point of this story. The main point, the one thing that continues throughout the entire line of the book, the storyline of the book, is the spread of the gospel. Peter can be imprisoned, yet the gospel is not imprisoned. The gospel continues to advance. Stephen can be martyred and he was killed, but the gospel continues to advance. Paul was persecuted. He was, uh, he was stoned to, to almost, almost death, but the gospel continues to advance. James was, uh, was executed, but the gospel continues to advance. And so the gospel started in Jerusalem, right? Throughout the book of Acts, we've seen how the gospel starts in Jerusalem, and then it spreads to Judea, and then it makes it to Samaria, and then it starts making its way into the ends of the earth. And so I think Luke has finished this book brilliantly by showing us how the gospel has arrived in Rome, which was the capital of the Gentile world at the time. So it's almost like Luke is saying, okay, there is this really amazing message about the kingdom of God, this message, these good news of salvation. And now this message has made it to the capital of the world. And then boom, roll the credits. That's, that's kind of how Luke is ending this book. And it's just leaving us there to imagine and to see how now that the gospel is in Rome, even though, ironically, Paul is imprisoned, we are there left imagining and, and, and just looking forward to how this gospel is going to continue to advance now that it is in Rome, the capital, at the time, the capital of the, of the Gentile world. And so this book, we've studied the book of Acts, and we have learned a lot about mission, about evangelism, about the gospel itself. Uh, hopefully, we have been motivated to be missional, to jump on board with God's mission, to spread the good news of the gospel to all peoples. And so as we close this book, I want us to think about a few principles on evangelism, on mission from this final section. And so the first thing that I want us to notice in this section is that Paul, who was one of the ministers of the gospel, one of the apostles, he has always made sure that his life and his testimony is or are above reproach so that there is no hindrance to the preaching of the gospel. Let me read that again. Paul has always made sure that his life and his testimony are above reproach so that there is no hindrance to the preaching of the gospel. Notice, not just in this section, but several times Paul has been seen in the book of Acts making sure that there is nothing standing in between him and the people that are going to hear the gospel. He makes sure to let people know, hey, I don't have anything against you. I don't have anything against the Roman people, the Roman government. I don't have anything against the Jews. I don't have anything against the, the traditions of our fathers. I don't have and I haven't done anything against these institutions. 
And the reason why he is so careful at keeping his reputation intact is so that there is nothing standing in between them and his hearers so that he can preach the gospel. And I think that this is something very important that we need to learn as well. When we realize that our calling, that our mission as the church is to proclaim the gospel of salvation to the people, then we're going to make sure that there is nothing in our character, nothing in our personality, nothing in our actions that hinders others from hearing the gospel. And so we might have some convictions, we might have some uh, political ideas and convictions, we might have some convictions about other things, and I think it's right to, to stand for those things, but because we understand that the gospel is the main thing that we want to proclaim, we're going to be wise in choosing our battles. We're going to be wise in what things we need to make, or I should say, we're going to realize that it is not worth making enemies before we even get the chance to proclaim the gospel to them. So, we're going to make sure that if people reject us, it's because of the gospel and nothing else. We're going to make sure that the first thing that people hear from us is the gospel. And so I think this calls us to be wise. To be wise about the conversations that we have with people. To be wise about the things that we post or share on social media. To be wise about the conversations that we have with our family members who are unbelievers. To be wise about the kind of things that we say or do at work. Why? Because we realize that we are messengers of the gospel. We are ambassadors of Christ. And because our main calling is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we're going to make sure that we're not putting any stumbling block other than the gospel itself. So Paul says, he, he, he goes to the Jews, he, he gathers the Jews after three days that he has made it in Rome, that he has been in Rome. Verse 17, he says, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. So in other words, Paul is talking to these, the, the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders in Rome, and he is making sure that they know that he doesn't have anything against the people of God, the Jews, he makes sure that, that they know that he doesn't have anything against the customs of their fathers, uh, uh, their, their, um, the, the Jewish people before them. He also makes sure to let them know that he doesn't have anything against the Roman Empire and that the Roman Empire doesn't have anything against him. Right? He, he uh, establishes before them that he is innocent before the Jews. He is innocent before Rome. And he doesn't have anything against the nation of Israel. He is doing this so that he can have a door open for him, an opportunity open for him to preach the gospel. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that 
the message of the gospel is about God's kingdom and about Jesus as the king. As Jesus, Jesus as the ruler of this kingdom. So notice how in verse 23, once the, the Jews heard him the first time, they told him, all right, we haven't heard anything about you. We haven't received any letters. No one has come telling us anything about you. So we want to hear what you have to say. And so in verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So what was Paul's main message here? It was the kingdom of God. It was Jesus Christ as king. So this is important for us because one of the things that has happened to our gospel is that oftentimes we have made the gospel so self-centered. We have adapted the gospel so much to our culture that all of a sudden we start preaching about Jesus as this um, life insurance kind of savior. We think about him as just the, the person that, you know, can give us a, get, get us our ticket into heaven, get us our ticket out of hell. And I'm not saying that these things are incorrect necessarily. Yes, Jesus is the one that can save you. Jesus is the one that can get you to heaven. Jesus is the one that can save you from going to hell. But there is so much more to the gospel. The gospel is not just about Jesus saving individuals for the sake of the individual period. No, the gospel is about a kingdom. The gospel is about God bringing us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. The gospel is about how God is establishing a kingdom and he has appointed Jesus as the righteous or the, the, the rightful ruler in this kingdom. And so the only way to get into this kingdom is by accepting Jesus as king. The only way into entering this kingdom is by recognizing that Jesus has full authority, that he is the, the ruler of this kingdom. And so for the Jews, they had not made that connection yet. They knew that, that there was supposed to be a kingdom. That was their hope, right? Ever, ever from, from Genesis and then the promise that God made to Abraham, and then the, the, the covenant that God made with Moses, and then the covenant that God made with David, the people of Israel, they understood all of those things and said, okay, so there will be a Messiah, and he will be the righteous, the, the ruler that God has appointed, and he is going to establish the kingdom for Israel. They understood that. The problem is they didn't understand that Jesus was that Messiah that Jesus was the ruler. And so what Paul was trying to do was to connect those things for them and say, Jesus is the one that fulfills the hope of Israel. I feel like in our case, it's almost backwards in our culture. In our culture, most people would say, oh yeah, I, I, you know, I, I believe in Jesus, or at least people would know who Jesus is. 
but a lot of people would not have a clue what we say when we talk about the kingdom of God. And so we need to make sure that we understand what we're talking about. We need to make sure that we understand that we are being brought into the kingdom of God. This book is describing the growth of the kingdom of God. Remember how the book opened? Jesus is with his disciples, and the disciples ask Jesus, so are you going to restore the, the kingdom to Israel at this time? So the Jews, the, the disciples themselves are, are hoping, are expecting this kingdom. And so Jesus tells them, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons, but you will receive power when the Spirit has come upon you. And so as we study with the coming of the Holy Spirit, it is the inauguration of this kingdom. And remember the teachings of Jesus. Remember the words of Jesus. The kingdom is like a mustard seed. It is so tiny when it begins, but it continues to grow and grow and grow. And think about it. How did the kingdom start it? It started with a few, a few people, a few people of the remnant of Israel, 12, 12 men and a few other disciples. It started in Jerusalem, and it continued to spread. And more and more people believed in this gospel. And more and more people were saved. And now think about the kingdom of God now. How many people do you think have been included into this kingdom? I think it's, it's impossible to know. But just think about it. I'm not, I'm not just thinking about the people that are currently alive and believers, members of the church. I'm thinking about the people that have believed in the gospel message from the moment that the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples. And so that's what Jesus meant when he said that the kingdom is like this mustard seed that is eventually becoming into a full tree. Now, another thing that we need to remember is that Paul's message was completely founded in Scripture, in the Word of God. So he explained, verse, 20, verse 23, he testified to the kingdom of God and trying to convince him about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. This is something that we have said here multiple times, but I want to say it again. We need to read our Bibles in a Christ-centered way. We need to make sure that when we are reading the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, we need to make sure that we are reading them looking for Jesus. Paul, as he was explaining to them how Jesus was the fulfillment to the promises about the kingdom, he was showing them from the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament at the time. Paul was going through the prophets. He was going through the law, the books that they knew, the scripture, the books that God inspired, and he was showing them how Jesus was a fulfillment of all of those things. And so we as believers, we need to become very, very familiar with our Bibles. We need to become very, very familiar with the Old Testament. We need to be able to read the, the, the law the prophets, and make sure that we are understanding them correctly in light of Jesus and his coming. We need to make sure that we are not reading the Old Testament in a moralistic kind of way. We need to make sure that, 
you know, to give you an example, that we're not reading the story of David and simply saying, David and Goliath, and simply saying, you have to be like David. You have to be brave like David. And, and you need to gather your five stones to five against the giants. And I mean, I'm not saying that those are necessarily bad applications. But what about this? We are like the people of Israel who were frightened to death of Goliath. And we needed a champion to come rescue us. We needed a champion to come fight our battle for us. And just like the people of Israel had David who came and fought for them, we have Jesus who came and fought for us and defeated Goliath. Now that's reading the Bible in a Christ-centered kind of way. Then, yeah, we can talk about application and say, well, and then now that Jesus has fought our battles, we have the authority that he has given us to fight sin and to fight temptation and all of those things. But we need to make sure that as we are reading Scripture, as we're reading the Old Testament, as we're reading the New Testament, that we realize that all of this book is about salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And we need to make sure that when we preach the gospel, our gospel is Bible-based. A lot of the times we hear phrases here and there or we read phrases on Facebook memes and all that stuff that sound really nice. But the first thing that we have to do is make sure that it is actually biblical, that it is actually saying something that is founded in Scripture. Because if we don't do that, then we end up sharing or saying things that are not necessarily biblical and that could be misguiding people into getting the wrong idea of who God is, who Jesus is, and what his kingdom is. So another thing, another principle that we learn here is that the gospel will always divide the audience. In other words, the gospel will be accepted by some and it will be rejected by others. Notice what happens with Paul. So he, he talks to them about Jesus, about the kingdom of God, verse 24. And some were convinced by what, by what he said, but others disbelieved. Or another way of translating that would be, but others refused to believe. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. This is what he said. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to, this gen go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their, uh, and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. So Paul was preaching the gospel. He always did. But just like every single time that he preached the gospel, some believed and some refused to believe. And so we need to know that this is going to happen. 
In fact, the more we preach the gospel, the more we are going to realize that more people are going to believe, but also more people are going to reject it. But this should not be an excuse or a hindrance for us to preach the gospel. It, it, it's expected. It is expected. Those who do not believe in Christ are blinded by the enemy. Their eyes are blinded to the gospel. And apart from God's grace, there is, there is nothing else that we can do other than preach the gospel. That is our duty. That is our task. Our task is not to, to open people's eyes because we don't have the power to do that. Our task is not to uh, transform lives because we don't have the power to do that. Our task, our calling is to faithfully proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, Jesus as the king from the word of God. And God is the one who is going to either open people's eyes or if they refuse to accept him, if they continue to harden their hearts, God confirms that hardening. Now, I don't want to get I don't want to get very deep into this because it's a huge topic, but there is a, a biblical topic about the Jews, about the Jews rejecting the gospel message, right? So throughout the book of Acts, we see how the gospel is moving. It is it's starting in Jerusalem, but is moving out, of, not necessarily out of Jerusalem, because there are still a lot of believers in Jerusalem, but the gospel continues to advance to the Gentiles. And several times in the book of Acts, we see that Paul proclaims judgment against the people of Israel and, say, and says, you guys have hardened your hearts. You guys are temporarily blinded. Right now, the good news is being proclaimed to the Gentiles, right? Verse 28, therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. If you read Romans 11, you're going to see that Paul himself says that the people of Israel have a temporary blindness. If you read 2 Corinthians, you also see that the, the enemy has blinded their eyes so that they would not understand the gospel. And so right now, historically speaking, theologically speaking, yes, the people of Israel, generally speaking, are blinded to the gospel. But it doesn't mean that we need to stop preaching the gospel to them. Or it doesn't mean even less. It doesn't mean that we should be anti-Semitic or, or, you know, hate on, on the people of Israel, on the Jews. No, none of that. It's actually interesting that right after Paul proclaims judgment because of the unbelief of the people of Israel, and he says, okay, I'm done with you. I'm going to preach to the Gentiles. The very next thing that he does is go to the next synagogue and preach the gospel to the Jews. So even Paul himself is not, has not given up hope for his own people, for the people of Israel. He continues to preach the gospel. So yes, even though Israel right now, ethnic Israel has a temporary uh, uh, hardening of heart against the gospel, it doesn't mean that we're not going to go preaching to them. But it does mean something. It does mean that right now, it is open season for the Gentiles. So think about it this way. 
If you enjoy fishing, at least from my experience, it is a lot more fun to fish for salmon than it is to fish for trout. Now, salmon, it's only a, a short period, right? It's, it's a short season. So if you are like very much into fishing, what do you do when salmon season opens? Go and fish, right? You might catch a, a trout here and there. Well, you don't, you don't throw it back. You, you know, if it's a good trout, you keep it. But you're fishing for salmon, right? And so I know the analogy is not perfect. But basically what I'm trying to say is right now it is Gentile season. Right now God has opened the eyes or, or, or God has stopped Satan from deceiving the nations at this time so that it is possible for Gentiles to believe the gospel. Before Jesus came, salvation was mostly for the Jews. Before Jesus came, salvation was mostly within the boundaries of Israel. Not that, not that Gentiles were not being saved. Yeah, they were being saved as well as they came to, as they joined the people of God. But now the tables have turned and God has made it free game for the Gentiles. So this has implications for us. One of the implications is if it is open season for Gentiles, if it is free game, then why are we not preaching the gospel? If someone were to tell you, hey, there is a, you know, there was a, a, a huge spawning of salmon or a bunch of salmon were released. If you go right now to the Chehalis, you're going to catch a bunch of salmon if you're into fishing. Wouldn't you go? Like, wouldn't you go with confidence that you're going to cast and you're going to catch something? And so in a similar way, theologically, biblically speaking, the river is full of Gentiles that do not believe in the gospel, but that God is going to save. And so this is great news because then we can preach the gospel with confidence. We can preach the gospel knowing that many people will turn to Christ. I think that one of the reasons why we haven't seen a lot of revival here in Aberdeen, or one of the reasons we haven't seen a lot of conversions here in Aberdeen, honestly, is just because we don't preach the gospel enough. It's because we are too shy about preaching the gospel. It's because we expect people to walk through those doors on a Sunday gathering, but that, generally speaking, that doesn't happen anymore. Unbelievers don't, generally speaking, walk into the doors of a church gathering. But if we truly believe that it is open season, shouldn't we be preaching the gospel to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our children, to our unbelieving relatives? Yes, some people will reject it. But some people will accept this message. And just to, at, at the risk of overkilling this metaphor, what happens when you catch a fish? Do you say, okay, well, I guess we're done. Let's go back home. Is that what you do when you catch one fish? 
I mean, I don't know about you, but if I catch one, I'm like, oh, let's keep doing this. There's more fish here, right? You're excited about it. And so the more we proclaim the gospel, the more we have experiences where people come to faith through the preaching of the gospel, through our ministry, we're going to want to do it more and more and more. So he lived there, verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So the book of Acts literally ends with Paul imprisoned, all chained, although he is living at his own expense for two years. He is perhaps renting his own place, although he's still uh, under the Roman custody. But it literally ends with him preaching the gospel to anyone and everyone that would come to him. And it literally ends with, with all boldness and without hindrance. Those are the last words in the book of Acts. And I think that what Luke is doing here, he is telling us the gospel is in Rome. The gospel is in the capital of the Gentile world. It is about to be spread exponentially. Now, the irony, again, is that Paul is imprisoned. But that doesn't matter because people are still coming to him. God is still sending people to him. And he is preaching the gospel. And he is preaching it with boldness. And so I think this is really good news for us. But it's also a challenge for us that it doesn't matter if we experience rejection. It doesn't matter if we experience hardships. It doesn't matter if we experience experience imprisonment, tiredness, censorship, anything of the sort, we need to continue to preach the gospel with boldness. Paul could have said, well, you know, I'm imprisoned. I, or, or, you know, going even, even further back, Paul could have said, well, I just arrived in Rome and, and it was a really tiring uh, voyage. We almost, uh, we almost shipwrecked. So I'm going to take a few weeks to recover. No, no, no. It says that after three days, he called the Jews and started preaching the gospel to them. Or Paul could have said, well, you know, I've made it here, but I'm in prison. And Jesus told me that I was going to go before Caesar. So I'm just going to wait until my trial before Caesar. And I'm just going to take a break. I'm going to invest in myself. I'm going to do some self-growth until I go to Caesar. Is that what he did? No. He didn't let any of those things hinder him. He didn't let imprisonment hinder him. He didn't let hardships, rejection, tiredness, none of that would hinder him from continuing to preach the gospel. And I think that that is a challenge for us. Like he tells Timothy, Timothy, preach the gospel in season and out of season. Preach the gospel when you feel like it and preach it when you don't feel like it. Preach it with all boldness. We can preach the gospel with boldness because we know that God is in control. Because we know that God is the one who is advancing the gospel. God is the one who is opening people's eyes. God is the one protecting us. He is the one guiding us. So we preach it with boldness because really that's all we have to do. It's 
It's kind of simple if you think about it. And we preach without hindrance. I think here Luke is, is doing somewhat of a double meaning in that, in that he's saying Paul preached the gospel without hindrance and that no one stopped him from doing it. But at the same time, he's trying to communicate with us that right now, like I said, it is open season. We can preach the gospel and there will be no hindrance. I am, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there won't be opposition or persecution or, or uh, unbelief. But what I'm saying is we are at a time in history where God is saving people. We are in a time in history where people believe in the gospel by the preaching of the gospel. So as we finish the book of Acts, let us remember that Acts is a story of how God's kingdom is spreading through the preaching of the gospel by his church, by his disciples. The kingdom of God is at growth. The kingdom of God, to use the analogy at the beginning, is like, it's like a virus that it is spreading and nothing can stop it. As long as God's people are boldly preaching the gospel and trusting that God is the one directing its progress, he is the one leading and protecting his servants and opening the eyes and softening the hearts of unbelievers. We can trust in God that he will do the work and we can preach the gospel boldly and without hindrance. Let's pray. God, we thank you for, for the good news of your kingdom. We thank you that we have been brought into your kingdom, Lord. We thank you that you have given us so much more than, than, than just personal salvation, Lord, but you have made us a part of your people. You have made us subjects of your kingdom. You have made us brothers and sisters of your son, Jesus, who is the king. You have adopted us into your family. We are your children. You have given us your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you give us boldness to proclaim the gospel as a church individually to others, Lord. That we would realize that it is open season right now. That we would realize that that. It is free game right now that there is no hindrance to preaching it. I pray that more people can be converted by the proclamation of the gospel by each one of us, Lord. I pray that you give each one of us boldness to proclaim your word to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our family members, to our relatives, to everyone, Lord. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for his love. Thank you for his sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.